Well, last week, uh, well, we're in a sermon series in the book of Galatians, and uh, last week, Paul brought up this idea that we are adopted, that as, uh, as, as Christians, as uh, people that believe the gospel, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, the wonderful news is that we've been adopted. We are now sons and daughters of God. God is now our Father. And we said that this is something incredible. This is something that shapes your identity as a Christian. Uh, This is uh, really something that is at the heart of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters. And uh, today, uh, uh, Paul goes on in chapter 4 to continue to talk about the fact that we are sons and daughters. He He continues his train of thought. And in the original material, uh, you got to remember, there were no chapter breaks. You know, here we have Galatians 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, this is not true in the original material. And so uh, there, there is no break here, and certainly it's true in Paul's flow of logic. There is no pause. Paul talks about our, sons, our, our sonship, and here in chapter 4, he continues to drive the point home. He continues to drive home this idea that we are children. Now, why does Paul go on? Why does Paul go on to continue talking about our sonship? It's because Paul uh, is afraid. Paul has a fear that even though we are sons and daughters, that even though all of us are God's children, many of us are not living like it. Although many of us, we have this great privilege of being adopted. Many of us are, uh, although this is true about us, we're still living as spiritual orphans. And this is certainly true of the Galatian church that Paul was writing to. And it reminds me of a friend of mine. I've got a friend back in California who, uh, he's, a, he's a foster parent, and he, uh, when we were there, he had this little girl in his home, and she was a, a foster child. He's in the process of adopting her into his family. I think she now is adopted. But when we were there, they were still kind of going through the, the, the court cases and everything to bring her in to the family. And he told me, he said, Brent, it's been such a struggle with this little girl, bringing, bringing her into our family. And he said the struggle wasn't so much on the family's end. We loved her. We wanted her. We, uh, we, we immediately accepted her as part of our own family. The struggle was with her. <coughs> Excuse me. The struggle with, was, was on her end. She didn't feel loved. She didn't feel like she belonged. She didn't feel like she was part of the family. And he said this is actually very common in fostering and, and, and adoption. And he, and he told me this story. He said there's this one story of a little boy who was brought into a family, and the family noticed that the boy was uh, eating dinner very quickly and then rushing off to his room. And for weeks he was doing this, eating dinner and then rushing off to his, his room very quickly. And uh, one day the parents discovered that the little boy was hoarding food under his mattress. And it broke the, the, the father's heart. As you can imagine, it, it broke his heart that this child was still living like an orphan. Although he was part of the family, although he was loved, although he, was, he belonged, he still was living like a slave. He was still living like an orphan. Probably for years of, of living in survival mode and fight or flight or whatever, he still, even though he's adopted, he's living like an orphan. And Paul says there's something very similar to us as Christians. Even though we're adopted, even though we're part of God's family, many times, uh, for so many of us, we can still live like we're slaves. We can still operate as orphans, right? Our controlling identity, the deepest, the truest thing about us is that we're sons and daughters. And yet what actually controls us is perhaps fear. Or what, what's the controlling reality of our life is this need to prove ourselves. And Paul says, you don't need to live like that anymore. And he wants to press this home to us. Because he thinks it's a tragedy. 
when, when those of us who are sons and daughters are living like orphans. And notice how uh, this is tearing Paul up inside when he sees that it's happening to the Galatian church. He, said, uh, he, he says here in, in verse 11 that we read, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, d- down in verse uh, 20. He says, uh, or in verse 19, sorry, my little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. This is breaking Paul's heart. He says, I know your status. I know your sons and daughters, and I'm frustrated, and I'm perplexed, and I wish I could be there. I'm in anguish, because even though you're adopted, you're still living like orphans, and many of us are living that way in our Christian lives now. And so Paul wanting to remedy this situation uh, in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, is going to argue with them. He's going to press home their adoption. And this morning, I simply want to go through the passage, and I want to make the points that Paul made here. And Paul essentially says three things in the passage that we're going to look at. He says, number one, once you were slaves. Once you were slaves. And then he says, now you are sons. And then he says, it is ludicrous then to go back living like slaves. Those are the three points. Once we were slaves, but now we are sons. And now that we're sons, it's ludicrous to go back and live like slaves. So we're going to look at those three things as we go through the chapter. And so let's begin in verse uh, 4. This is our slavery. Verse 1, chapter 4. I mean that that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. We'll stop there. So Paul here is alluding to a practice in the ancient world. And it's going to probably fly over most of our heads because we don't really live like this nowadays. But in the ancient world, the, the process of, coming of, of a, the coming of age of a child was a clear and decisive uh, process. Uh, it was very clear when a child was, uh, you know, under the tutelage of his parents and, or her parents and when she became an adult. And maybe uh, those of us who are Jewish, I don't know if there are any Jews here in this room, but, uh, you know, if you think about the Jewish uh, traditional culture, there's this idea of the bar mitzvah. It's the transition from a childhood to adulthood in a Jewish family. And a young Jewish boy looks forward to the bar mitzvah, and there's this great celebration. And during the, the feast, uh, the father says this. It's a prayer. He says, Blessed are you, O God, who has taken from me the responsibility for this boy. And I remember, I think my parents probably said this to me when I left for college. Oh, blessed are you, O God, for taking the responsibility away for this rowdy little boy. And I went away to college, and of course I went back and lived with my parents again. Whoops! But this is what the father prays during a child's bar mitzvah. It was a transition from being under the tutelage of his parents to then moving into adulthood. And then and there was a Roman practice as well in the Roman world. It was where a, a young boy a transitioned into manhood. There was a big celebration. It was a religious uh, celebration, albeit it was pagan, but uh, celebration. And during the celebration, the boy, who, uh, when he was under the tutelage, wore a sash that had, or a toga that had a purple little uh, rim around it. And then when he trans, uh, transitioned into adulthood, the boy put on a white toga. Uh, to represent, now I'm a man. It was the same toga that his father would wear. And so this was the practice in the ancient world. A child, even though he was, uh, even though he may be a son or maybe be an heir of all that the father has, there's this point where he transition, transitions 
into a place of actual ownership. And so a child at this time, he could be, uh, he could be part of a large estate, and he would walk around, and he'd look at the fountains and the beautifully manicured ya- uh, lawn, and he would look at the great mansion, and he would say, look, it's all mine. Yes, it all belongs to me, but really in rights and in experience, he didn't really have any of it yet. And so the picture Paul draws here is a picture of unlimited resources and limited rights. The child has everything and experiences absolutely nothing until he reaches adulthood. And you might think of like a king in the ancient world. You know, a, you know kings in the ancient world were, uh, or, you know, they were uh, crowned when they were little tiny babies. And, and yet they lived like slaves until they actually as- assumed the throne. Or you think of an emperor in China, it's the same way. They, you know, they live under the tutelage of uh, guardians and trustees until they attain to the throne. Paul is alluding to the same sort of thing. The child, until he comes of age, is just like a slave. That's what Paul's going to drive home here. But then finally, when he reaches that point of adulthood, he gets a different... uh, Air style, if you want to put it that way. He becomes, he comes into his, that was a joke, by the way. A really bad one, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, he, he becomes an heir. He, he comes into everything that the father has. Until then, he's no different from a slave. And what Paul is doing is he's laying out this analogy to describe the situation of a Jew under the law. He says, under the law, you were no different than a slave. You were an heir. You had the promise Uh, You had it set out there that that everything could be yours, and yet you were, as long as you were under the law, you were just like a slave. The slaw, the the slaw, (laughs) the coleslaw, the the law gave a promise, but it didn't give them the power to live into the promise. And so, as long as a Jew was under the law, they were still just like a slave. So Paul goes on here and he says, okay, so this is a situation. Then he says in verse 3, he's going to drive it home to the Greek uh, church that he's writing to. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved by the elementary principles of the world. We'll stop there. So this is the Jewish situation under the law, but then Paul now is going to apply it to a Greek audience as well. He says, look, you weren't like a Jew under the law, but you were still like a slave. Because you were under the authority, you were under the power of what he calls the elementary principles of the world. Now, what is that? The elementary principles of the world, the Greek word is stoikei, it's referring to the pagan gods, it's referring to the powers in the world, it's it's referring to uh, the created things that come to dominate and rule the lives of even pagan people. And so just like the Jews were slaves under the law, Paul says, and you Greeks were slaves to the elementary principles of the world, the, the, the gods of sex, money, and power. These things ruled your lives. Well, let's apply, apply it to us today because this is true not only of the ancient Jewish person and not only of the ancient Greek person, but every single one of us before Christ, all of us before we were liberated into sons and daughters of God, were living a type of slavery. And you think about this. I mean, before you're a Christian, you are not free. All of us are controlled by something. And one of my favorite quotes is by Becky Pippert. She puts it this way. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves, she says. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. What Paul is saying is before you were a Christian, you were controlled 
by sex, money, power, approval. All of these things that acted as gods over you. They weren't real gods, but they exercised real control over you. And for some of you, these things are still controlling your lives. Uh, another great quote is by David Foster Wallace. And David Foster Wallace is a novelist. Uh, he, he committed suicide recently. Uh, he was very famous uh, uh, postmodern novelist. And at one point, he gave a speech at Kenyon College where he talks about this idea of slavery. And he notices the same thing that Paul notices, that, that, that all of us are controlled. All of us are under the elementary principles of the world, as it were. And here's what he says. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is, is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It is the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever to more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, it is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying uh, the Jew was under the law and the, the law enslaved the Jew, but everybody is a slave. Maybe it's the sex, maybe it's the money, maybe it's the power, but when these things are the things that dominate you and you worship, they begin to enslave you. And what David Foster Wallace says, they begin to eat you alive. And so Paul the Apostle, Becky Pippert, David Foster Wallace are all saying the th same thing. When you, when you can get these three people, these types of three people, to all say the same thing, it must be true to our experience, right? Before you are a Christian, if Jesus Christ has not liberated you, you are controlled by something. You are not free before Christ. What's controlling you? And the tragedy here of our slavery is not so much just that we're slaves, but that we are slaves that are meant to be heirs, right? This is the story. This is the analogy. Paul is saying, uh, you know, you were like this, this child who had everything and was meant to inherit everything, and yet you're living just like a slave. You've got nothing. You've got no rights. You don't experience any of it. And this is the tragedy before we come to Christ, you're made in the image of God. You were born to be God's children and to inherit everything. And yet all of us, before we are Christians, are slaves to something. Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but every single one of us serve something until Jesus Christ liberates us. You're not free. And our slavery is tragic because although we are meant to have everything, before Christ, we are living as if we had nothing. Before we move on, let me give you one more story. When we, when we first came into uh, Arkansas, uh, our, we, we, we came in, but our, all of our belongings, all of our stuff, Kate, were on the truck, right, the moving truck. And the truck didn't arrive until three weeks later. And so we lived in Christian Baxter's house, and then we lived, lived in uh, the McLean house, 
and then we lived in a rental house, but the whole while we had literally nothing. I had no books. I was preaching awesome sermons, as you can imagine. Um, I was, uh, you know, I had a pair of cutoff shorts and one pair of slacks. We were just living like we had nothing. And it was so frustrating because we weren't poor, but we were living like it. And Paul says, this is your experience before you know Christ. You weren't meant to be slaves, but you were. You were made in the image of God, and yet you were in bondage to the elementary principles of the world or the law, which is the same thing, according to Paul. You were controlled. You were controlled by things that were eating you alive. You were born to be sons and daughters of God, but you, you experienced nothing, and you had the right to nothing. And Paul, this is what Paul is laying out here. He says, once you were slaves. But here's the second point. We're going to move on. Uh, the second point Paul says in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. So notice, uh, keeping with the analogy here, a child who's under the tutelage of guardians and trustees, there is a point in time, in the fullness of time, where the child reaches adulthood and then inheritance, inherits everything the, the parents have for the child. And Paul is saying, this is the story of the world. You know, all of us were slaves. All of us had nothing until the fullness of time. You know, it wasn't haphazard. There was a point in history where God sent his son into the world to liberate us. But he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are now no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so Paul says, look, at the fullness of time, you came into your inheritance. At the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world, born under the law, born to a woman, to redeem you into full sonship. And what Paul is saying here is that now that we are sons, God has done two things for us. This is true about you uh, under Jesus Christ. Number one, God has given you the status or the rights of sonship. He says in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you want to underline that little phrase, adoption as sons, in the Greek language, this is one Greek word. And the one Greek word literally means full rights as children. And so what, but what God does is he does something objectively in sending his son born under a woman, you have the, you, he pays the price for your redemption. And then he gives you this objective status, the full rights of sonship. And notice this is object, ob, ob, objective. This is something that is true about you in an instant if you're a Christian. You don't gradually work your way into sonship. When you become a Christian by virtue of your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive full rights as children. It's a sudden change in status. You now have full rights as children. And so where before you, you, you knew you, uh, you, you were born for something, you were meant for something, but you didn't experience any of it, suddenly now as a Christian you receive full rights as God's children. You are God's. You belong to him. This is your status. This is what's true about you objectively. Jesus Christ has given it to you as a gift. You are now children, he says. Because Jesus Christ has redeemed you. And this comes with rights. You think about, you know, your own children, they have rights in your house, right? You know, there's a little boy who's been coming over to our house, and he's, 
He's a visitor, and we welcome him, but he doesn't have full rights as a child in my house. And the other day, I walked in. I got home from work. I walked in, and this little boy had our refrigerator door open. And I looked at him and said, you don't have the right to do that. You know, if my little son has the refrigerator door open, hey, he, he belongs there. He's got the right to do that. It's, in a sense, it's his refrigerator. But this little boy doesn't have the right. Oh, I love him. He's really cute. But don't open up my refrigerator. But now you are a child of God. You have the right of sonship. You belong. And you don't have to work your way into it. It's not a gradual change, but a sudden change of status. You belong here. You belong to God, and, and as such, you have access into God's presence and all that he is. This morning, I was looking at a black and white photo of JFK in the Oval Office. And it's this great, uh, I forget who the photographer was, but it was a black and white photo, and all of these, uh, uh, you know, higher-ups in Washington are gathering in the Oval Office, and they're, they're having some sort of meeting, and thou, there underneath the desk is JFK's little son playing under the desk. Anybody seen that one? And security hasn't rushed in to yank him out. Security hasn't come in and said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. No. He has the right to be there. Why? He is JFK's son. And so you are a Christian now. You are a son or daughter of God. And as such, you have full rights. As children, you belong in the family of God. And everything that's God's, all of his attention, all of the Holy Spirit, all of his righteousness, all the spiritual blessings, now are yours by right. And listen, you know, we are saved by God's mercy, and it is undeserved, and yet at the same time, we belong. It is our right. Jesus Christ has given our right to us as a gift. He says you've received the full rights of sonship. You are now, you now have the status of child of God. Are you acting like that? Think about the privilege that it is to have that right. You know, even at nighttime, if my wife, you know, leans over to me at three in the morning and she says, honey, I'm thirsty, can you give me a drink? I would say, get it yourself. <laughs> I love my wife, but she'd probably say the same thing to me. Unless she was sick or something. But if my little son walks into the room and says, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? I'm out of bed, you know. I'm in the kitchen. I'm giving him water. Why? He's my son. And he's got that access. He's got that right. I mean, he comes in and he, he asked me that and he's got it. You have rights as God's children. You are no longer under trustees. You've been brought into the family. It's an objective status. But then he goes on and he says, it's not only an objective status that you have as sons. He says, notice also in verse 6, and because you are God's son, he has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are now no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And this is a neat other little thing that you get through your sonship. It is not just objective status, but it is subjective experience. Because to make you a son, God sent his son into the world to redeem you. But once you've been redeemed, once you get that status, God also does something else. He sends his spirit, where? Into your heart. Why? To help you cry out, Abba, Father. You see, your sonship is not just objective status. It is subjective experience. The Trinity is involved here. 
The Father sends the Son, but he also sends the Holy Spirit into your heart. Why? So that you not only will, will have the status, but you'll actually feel like a son or a daughter. And this is another wonderful privilege of, of being adopted. Um, th- when I was, uh, let's see if I could find it. There's, there's a quote in your bulletin, and uh, I'll just talk about it. Uh, there's this old Puritan named Thomas Goodwin, I think it was. And he says, think about it this way. He says, picture a father and son walking down the road, hand in hand. The father has the son's hand, the son has the father's hand. They're walking down the road. The son was, was always uh, belonged to the father, and the father always belonged to the son. But then he says, suddenly, a picture, the, the father picking the son up into his arms and giving the son a hug and a kiss. And he says, the son is still the same, is still just as much a son but now what's happening? He's experiencing his sonship. And God has sent his spirit into your heart so that you will feel like a son or a daughter. And this is what's available to you in the gospel so that it might be intuitive to you, so that you might go to God in prayer and experience that you're accepted and loved, so that you not not only will claim that you have the status of sonship, but, but you will experience, I belong and it's mine. And he's mine, and I know him, and he knows me. This is what this Holy Spirit does in your life. It's an experience. And so Paul says, look, once you were a slave, you didn't control yourself. It was impersonal. It was, you were far off, and you were controlled by the elementary principles of the world, sex, money, and power, and other things. But he says, now Jesus Christ has come, and he's made you a son. He's brought you in. He's given you status. He's helped you experience his love that you might enjoy him and that you might love him and have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with him by which you can cry out, notice in verse six, Abba, Father. The word Abba, Father, the word Abba literally means dear father. So is this the way you relate to God? God is your dear father. The creator of the universe wants you to call him dear father. You are now sons. Let's move on to the final point then. So we are now sons. Now what does Paul say? He says, now that you're sons, here's what I want to tell you. It is ludicrous to go back and live like a slave. You've been brought in. You've been redeemed by the Son. The Holy Spirit is in your life. You can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And he says, now that you're a son, it is absolutely ludicrous to go back and live like a slave. Notice he says in verse 18, he says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And so here's what Paul is saying. The Galatian church, they've been adopted, they've been brought in, they have the Holy Spirit, full rights, they're gods, they belong to God, they could have a relationship with him. But now what's going on, the Jewish teachers have come in and they said, look, you can't relate to God as a father, you've got to relate to God as a boss. And you need to begin keeping the law. And you need to earn your acceptance. And they're, and they're believing it, they're wanting that, and so they start turning away and Paul says, no, 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 you're sons. Don't go back to slavery again. You're now, you have the freedom of God's children. Don't go back 
and put yourself under the power of anything else anymore. And I'm afraid this might be the situation for many of us in this room. Although we have the Holy Spirit, although God has accepted us, although our status is immediate and it's real, many of us walk around life feeling like orphans and controlled like slaves. So you're controlled by fears. You get up in the morning and the first thought you have is, oh no, not again. What's going to happen today? Am I going to lose my job today? Am I going to have that same aching pain today? Or many of us are controlled by the need to achieve. You know, we're, we're controlled by status or power and we're, we're controlled on this, we're on this treadmill of, of trying to prove ourselves to, other, to God and others. Many of us are controlled by insecurities. Am I good enough? Am I loved enough? Does anybody want me? And Paul says, listen, please listen. You are no longer a slave. You are a son. Live like it. You are no longer under a guardian. You are a daughter of, Jesus, of God through Jesus Christ. Live like it. You don't have the faith of a slave. You have the faith of a child. This is the status that God has given you. Are you living into your new identity? Are you enjoying God? The other night I was, I was sitting on the couch and I was thinking about this sermon and I was, I was studying for it and I was thinking about my work and my job. And really, as I was thinking about my work and my job, I was starting to be controlled by anxiety. And I started thinking about the idea for my sermon and about my, the meeting at work and about all this other stuff. And then I stopped for a second and, and almost felt like God saying, where am I, Brent? Brent, where am I? You, really, the point of all of it is relationship with me. And so often we can go into sort of maybe the rituals of Christianity or being faithful in church attendance or being, you know, faithful at work or whatever, and we forget the point of it all is that we are sons and daughters of God. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And so Paul is saying, don't turn back. Don't go back into slavery. Don't make religion all about rules and earning and rituals. Don't make your life about achievement or serving some other, you know, power, whether it be sex or money or achievement. He says, you are a son or daughter of God. Live into that new identity. Are you experiencing your sonship? Are you knowing and being known by God? This is the point of your redemption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, what Paul says here. He, he tells us that we are uh, children of God. He wants to press it home to us so that we could live into it. And yet many of us, I, I fear, are controlled by things uh, other than you. God, we're not experiencing the love and the freedom that we have in the gospel. We pray, God, as we take communion this morning, that we would experience uh, once again, the acceptance and the love that comes through being your child, that we might be reminded again of our status and the full rights that we have as your children, and that we might stop trying to earn our keep. Father, I think of the prodigal son who, who came back and said, just, 
Dad, just make me a slave. But the father would, didn't want that. He wants sons, not slaves. And so, God, I pray that we might be reminded of our sonship again this morning. In Jesus' name, 